Inner Voice, a heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice podcast. It's so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zane. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the awareness integration theory. Our conversation is about what matters most in our life, our mind, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. I want to share with you the good news about uh, the new book that is published and out. It's called Intentional Parenting, a Practical Guide to Awareness Integration Theory. This is a, a collaboration with uh, two of my wonderful colleagues, Dr. Nicole Jafari, um, who is a a professor in, um, I think, three universities, Cal State Universities and Chicago University. And her expertise is in development of human beings and children. And I also, Dr. Eileen Manukian, um, where her specialty is um, early childhood development. So together, the three of us have written this book. Um, it feels more like, um, kind of instructional. Um, it can, you can look at it as a textbook, you can look at it as a guidebook, which takes um, you from um, the theoretical backgrounds to um, it from infancy all the way to adulthood. And um, whether you're a parent, grandparent, caretaker of children, um, a school teacher, uh, 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 someone who babysits with a nanny, uh, someone who teaches actually all of these, uh, all of it, it it's, it's gonna help you because it takes you systematically through different ages and what their needs are, what their developmental stage as a normal a developmental stage is, what are their emotional and cognitive stages and what can you do from the awareness integration theory um, to be able to uh, do better parenting and actually intentional parenting. So I'm hoping that that would really serve you and support you uh, in making these decisions uh, easier for you and how to do them. I am excited in this episode to chat with Ray Arata. He's an award-winning diversity, equity, and inclusion leader. He's a speaker, consultant, trainer with a global client from the PwC to Verizon to Toyota to Bloomberg. He founded the Better Men Conference for the development of healthy masculinity, and men as allies and partners. He was recognized by UN Women in 2016 as a He for She champion for change and received the Ron Herring 2020 award. We're going to talk about his new book, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace. Um, we had a really an amazing conversation. I learned a lot and I hope that you guys will enjoy it as much as I did. I'm sure you will. Subscribe to this podcast and my YouTube channel and connect with me through my website, fujanzane.com or any of my social media. I also request for you to get my book, Life Reset, uh, The Awareness Integration Path to the life you want and share it with me, your thoughts and um, how it has supported your life, how the effect has been in your life. It, I love to hear from you um, and uh, get to get to know your thoughts. So here we are now. 
without, without further ado, Ray Arata. Ray Arata, everyone, we're talking about showing up. So thank you for showing up, Ray. It's my pleasure and responsibility. I love that word. I love that word. And um, what a beautiful timing for you to write this book. What got you to do this? You know, um, a couple of things. Uh, when I wrote my first book, uh, Wake Up, Man Up, Step Up, I was challenged by a, a guy I met in men's work. And he said, you know, Ray, you're playing a one-to-one a -one game and you need to be playing a one-to-many game and you need, to, you need to write your book. And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. And one day when I was out running with a friend and I should not have been running because I have a hip replacement and I was running on this beautiful path. It was clear. And somehow, probably by the the grace of God, my foot landed on just like a little half tennis ball rock and I broke the fifth mototarsal in my foot. And I'm like, okay, I'll just swim or I'll ride my bike. And they said, no, you can't do anything for like 10 weeks. So a little voice in my head said, this is probably a good time to write the book. And I hired a book coach and I wrote the, the first book because I was at this point where a lot of my men's work experience had just it was all in my head and I needed to get it out in an orderly format. So fast forward, I write the book, I meet a diversity and inclusion consultant. And she says, Ray, you really have something here, but you need to take your message into corporate America because uh, those men that look like you and sound like you, they need to hear this. And so she invited me to, uh, or challenged me to go to a women's leadership event uh, po post hosted by Watermark. And I, and I went and she said, you'll probably be the only guy, just go and listen. And when I went there, listen, I did, I was the only guy there. And uh, that's when it hit me on a deeper level. All those things my mom said to me as a, an Italian American woman, where all the rights and privileges and opportunities went to her older brother because he was a boy and she didn't get the same. So click. Then I thought about my wife, who was the oldest of seven in an Italian family in San Francisco. Her father, uh, John Barbara Gelato, well-known supervisor who ran against Mayor Moscone. And then my daughter, who was going to be uh, graduating from Duke with a degree in computer science. Like, I realized, you know, somebody needs to do something. Maybe it's me. And that's what had me uh, create the Better Man Conference. And so, unbeknownst to me, when I created the Better Man Conference, a place for companies to send men, and anybody else for that matter, to be better allies and leaders, that put me on a huge learning curve, like this steep. And uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, once again, that little voice in my head said, it's time. Time's up, me too, COVID, Black Lives Matter, all these events have formed a perfect storm. Ray, write the book. And I, my buddy, Mike Robbins, who's a five book author, introduced me to his agent. She loved the idea, signed me pitched me and then I wrote the book. So that's, that's kind of the series of events that led me to write the book. Well, everyone, since we are talking about it, I want you to see it. The book is Showing Up, 
how men can become effective allies in the workplace. And it is so, so necessary. There are a couple of things that I really, really enjoyed about this book. One is um, the, the word you use, which is taking responsibility for action. And I think that it was just so important. Um, I heard you say in your book that first of all, it takes a willingness um, mm -hmm. to, to get here, two, it takes the awareness, um, and then taking responsibility for your action. And um, what I loved, uh, I read this in your book says, when a male leader stands up in front of a room of men, admits his own failings, takes accountability for what happens on his watch and publicly commits to be better. It's a powerful model to emulate and follow for the man in the room. It also sends the message to the women that men are capable of making the transition to be more inclusive. That is an, that, that is an appropriate leader, regardless of gender. But I think that is so important when you say that, because I think that the ego uh, sometimes of men thinking that if I say that, I'm going to look weak and people are going to take um, uh, take advantage of, of the situation. So I have to always come across as this do not touch power that it's here. So share with us. I'm, I'm very impressed that you did your homework and you pulled out um, a, a very, very important message in the book that I speak to all the time whether I lead a training or whether I lead a conference, when my sponsors want to be involved and be part of the narrative, I ask to speak to the CEO or one of their upper level executives. And I have a little coaching session with them saying, your, your vulnerability, uh, which means power, not weakness, because uh, I've learned that my superpower is vulnerability. I, it, it's hard at first, but then the more I did it, the more um, the easier it became uh, that you're going to pave the way for uh, other men. And so back to 2019, we're at the Better Man Conference in New York. Moody's is our lead sponsor and the current CEO of Moody's, then the COO, um, him and I had a little talk because he was going to open up the conference. And I get an email from him two days before he says, Ray, you're not going to believe this. Got some feedback from my wife. I've got a story to tell. And he gets up there and he proceeds to say that, you know, you know, his wife's an executive at another company. And uh, he basically said some things to her when she was trying to explain something to her. And, and she looked at him and said, you're just like the rest of them. And it just went going and it hit him. And he realized what he had done and the impact that it had created. So from a taking responsibility perspective, he took responsibility because I talk a lot about um, what it means to be an ally. And over the course of our conversation today, I can walk your audience through the four steps of the ally's journey, but be that as it may, I realized how important that was. And so when I did the San Francisco conference, I was up on stage and I said to the guys, I'm going to prove a point here. And I said, Hey, to the women in the audience, if I admit I'm afraid, or I don't have the answer, or um, I'm, you know, feeling sad. Do you trust me more or less by a show of hands? And all the hands went up. And I, the point I was seeking to uh, illuminate was that when we're vulnerable, we engender trust, which is the flip. We're not in archaic times where I have to hold my shield. And if I drop my shield, you're going to kill me. 
that we're not in those times anymore. So a lot of what this is a, from a vulnerability perspective for men, it's a rewrite of the narrative of what it means to be a man. Put another way, healthy masculinity and how men and others are hungry for it. Very much. I think what you said in your book is that uh, there's a um, there's a way that a man uh, has been set up to live, which all men um, kind of try to be that. And then women also have subscribed, which is no right. longer working, which right. is they don't show emotions, um, always confident. They cannot show any of their insecurities. They don't ask for help. They don't even ask for addresses. <laughs> or directions. That's, or directions. The man, that's the man box. What you're speaking to is the man box. All the decisions, they have to make all the decisions. They have to be the provider. They have to be, um, you know, sexually dominant, um, continuously play and talk sports and never disabled or handicapped or unemployed. And you um, bring the other side, which um, that's kind of needs to go away because that is not the truth. It's just a role that they've played, which it doesn't even you know fit for them anymore. They're tired of it. Like they're also suffering in having to be in that box. That's exactly right. You know, I I say this has been lurking. A lot of guys, when I bring this forward, um, some of them say I don't do that. And the deeper truth is these rules are lurking in the shadows. They do drive our language and our behavior. And if we can't own how we're capable, then unconsciously we'll step into one of those things. And one of the best things I invite men to consider is get curious about, and get curious, get interested and get invested in how others experience you. As you were talking about this, this showed up for me in two ways. Um, the healthy man that you talk about is showing, sharing, experience, emotions, um, admitting to themselves and others that you know they don't have the answer, that it's okay, um, and ask for help and uh, contribute, you know, to decision making. So there's one aspect of the toxic masculinity that I think a lot of times people share with each other is that. When a man which is brought, has um, a little bit more of the feelings and has the, the respect and the um, co-decision-making with their wives, there's a lot that is said sometimes by men to even ridicule them. You know, they call them whipped. Um, I won't say the, the first word, but just Yeah, like, yeah I know. Um, and then it's almost like, although uh, they would have to, you know, they love to be able to do this cooperative stance with their mate and decision makings and all of that. But when they gather um, in a party or at work with a bunch of men, uh, then they have to pretend that they're completely somebody else and ridicule women and, you know, look at women in a different way and um, objectify them or, it's very interesting in how the role changes suddenly because they have to go into the box and perform in order to even be accepted by other men, even if none of them are the same out of that uh, like little party that they are. Like they might come in and play this role with each other and huff and puff. Yeah. 
And then all of them might actually go and really enjoy uh, being who they are. What are, you, what are your thoughts about that? Well, generationally, the, the behaviors you're speaking to is more prevalent with people in my age group. Now, I'm 59, so that includes guys in their mid to late 40s up into their 70s. So, so there's that. Um, there's, and what I say to that is, and I can say this as a strong, emotionally aware, uh, very capable of being vulnerable man that let them have at me because all that, when they open up their mouths and say that kind of stuff, it tells me a lot more about them and their insecurity. So when guys react that way, unless they're emotionally literate and they've done work on themselves, that's just speaking from a place of insecurity. And so the, as a white cisgendered, you know, male guy, um, if the worst thing that's going to happen to me when I step into allyship or being a leader uh, is that I'm going to be made fun of, as opposed to being a, a man of color or a man who identifies from the LGBTQI community, that I could actually be killed or hurt, then I can take a breath and keep going and not let those schoolyard immature antics prevail. So that's just me. But and at the same time, I'm always encouraging men to get to get past that. Now, that's my generation. You look to the younger generation. You know, my son's going to be 28 in September. So his age group all the way up to late 30s, they figured out a lot of this stuff already. And so it's not as much of an issue for them. Now they, the pendulum has swung. So they have their own set of issues um, that they need to, to come around to. But by and large, this is, this is the patriarchy and power dynamics that I, that, I, that I want to dismantle, which is why this year when we do our Better Man Conference uh, on November 2nd in New York and San Francisco, same day, uh, same time, along with the virtual audience, we're going to dismantle patriarchy, power and privilege, and, and contemplate positive patriarchy, sharing of power, use of privilege, right? And so, you know, my message to the men, regardless of what your age group is, is to consider, like I said earlier in our conversation, how do you want to be experienced? Do you want to be experienced by people around you as that guy? The, 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 the dinosaur that is, you know, uh, at the whim of toxic masculinity or think about your wife or sister or mother or kids or colleagues, because they're watching you and you do have a choice. Yes. But when you said that, uh, this showed up for me where the United States is a great melting pot of a yes. lot of different cultures. Now, many countries around the world are still pretty much a patriarch, and you can't you can't necessarily like beyond um, you know northern Europe. Most of the other countries are still uphold a lot of patriarchal systems. Um, so when you have though the group who are from those countries, they're immigrants, they're working in the business systems around the world. I mean, in the United States. And they're part of the company. Um, how does that concept of let's shift the patriarch patriarchal construct 
of what we just talked about, men in the box, um, they make decisions, this is what they do, they make the real decisions. Um, how do you, how have you experienced that when you come into a, kind of, a company which has all of this type of diversity, which completely different backgrounds, which as you said, even when they go home, even if they're living in the US, but they go home and they go into the same culture that has been fed from wherever they're from. For example, I'm from, um, originally I'm from Iran. That is a patriarchal system. That's right. Right? So it's almost like, you know, and I have a lot of clients, I'm a th therapist, so I have a lot of clients from Middle East. Yeah. A lot of people who are listening to us might also come from that. So the word like we're dismantling that type or bringing a healthy patriarchal system might have like, ah! <laughs> you know? yeah. what are you doing? What are your thoughts about this? So there's systemic and there's personal. Um, and what I will tell you is um, there is a global shift. And I've, I've worked with audiences from around the world. Uh, the EMEA region is hungry for this. Uh, the UK, Western Europe, uh, to some degree, Eastern Europe. And there's a common through line for all of them, and that's the heart. And so I seek to appeal to the human inside the man, the heart inside the man, and at the same time, culturally sensitive that I'm an American, Italian-American, um, and I'm aware of what it's like here, but those the same pushback that... Uh, you're speaking to in other cultures, I experience here. So my personal decision is to keep going and to bring the heart forward. Ultimately, it's going to be their choice. And so those men have beating hearts and they have daughters and they have sons and they have wives. So whether I shift the conversation to respect, right, and love, and whatever the case may be, I'll do whatever I need to do to get these guys thinking and feeling. Regardless of culture, they don't need to be an ass, <laughs> right? They, they don't. And, and, and so, um, and you know, when I, when I go international, you know, I, I liaison with somebody on the ground so that uh, as, a, as a coming into a different uh, company culture, I don't get spit out or rejected like a virus that they don't want. So that's part of my culture work in the background. One has to understand the ecosystems inside a company and inside a culture. So the only thing that can permeate that is heart. That's it. There's another uh, stigma or let's say um, behavioral pattern that has shown that there's been a lot of research on it. And I wanted to know what your uh, perspective was. Uh, in the old town, they say, you know, when a man has two pants, meaning when a man gets the wealthy and powerful, yes, that they decide that it's okay to, um, to have affairs, to have, um, you know, things that are, uh, to act in a way that is, is more objectifying uh, people around them, including um, other women. What are your thoughts on that? So, so that's the ill effects of having power and, and, and uh, ego unchecked and uh, a demonstration of what I would say um, 
you know, in my work, you know, I often talk about how, you know, when I did my men's weekend in 1999, because I got feedback from my then wife and work, I said, I, I learned that the pained little boy in me was driving the adult bus. And so when men step in to do that and they start justifying their behavior, that tells me who's, who's driving the bus. It's not the mature, inclusive leader. It's the angry teenager uh, that wants to get his, and he doesn't, he's not thinking about anybody else, right? And society perpetuates that and makes it quote unquote, okay, okay. But if you look around with how fast social media is bringing to light things that are happening, you know, more, more people and more voices are coming forward. So as far as I'm concerned, it's just a matter of time where things are gonna change. Uh, and right now you have a lot of men who are, you know, I talk about this in my book, the five states of men that exist inside orgs. One of them is a group of men that feel threatened by diversity initiatives because it threatens their job, the operative word being there. That's their unexamined privilege. That's the same group of men, the white men that say all this attention on white men is a distraction. Well, if you're a white male guy, of course it is. But once again, there's your privilege. And there's a way to flip all this. There's another group that don't feel included because inside companies, there's groups for women, people of color, LGBTQIA, but they're saying, what about me? That group can be converted because they're temporarily feeling excluded. The biggest group are the ones that are afraid to say or do the wrong thing, so they do nothing. That group is significant. And then there's a group that want to know what to do, but they don't know what to do. And then there's the few, the proud, the allies in training. So these groups all um, have required different approaches to them. To, and the, the word I would want to offer you and your listeners is what we're really trying to do here at the end of the day is to activate men, to activate them. The word that keeps coming to me as I read your book um, is um, becoming an adult, becoming a mature. Yeah. Um, and you said that going from, you know, staying into the teenage mode for a lifetime, um, taking on the adulthood as, you know, as you are after yeah. 20 some years of age, um, stop acting like, um, you know, someone who's not responsible or that their frontal cortex is not all completed. Since it is, then let's do that. One of the things that I really enjoyed, and I said that to you before the show is, Throughout the years, most of the um, attention, rightly so, um, also has gone to uh, empowering women, women around the world who have not been empowered, whether they weren't empowered because of the man's uh, role or um, the women's role who had bought into the man's role and lost their own, or if they wanted to fit into the business world and industry right. to survive, they, need, they needed to also um, you know, uphold those type of cultural rules in order right. to survive. And they learn their own games and manipulative, you know, way of doing it. So a lot has gone to uh, empowering women, getting them, you know, in, uh, independence and wealth and, uh, you know, power and laws and everything, which is beautiful. But in the process, I think that when men were trying to take care of themselves, it would be this type of a uh, rebelliousness in upholding the power 
um, as if the power was being taken away from them uh, by shedding light on this side. But the, you, the, the conferences you're creating in this book, it's so much about uh, bringing the two sides that work. So the, the parts of what we knew about masculinity and femininity that worked and bringing it and balancing it <clears throat> in a human being. And for, for the men to uh, not only have their power, but also have their power of vulnerability and emotion. A lot of your book is actually teaching men in how to feel their emotion, express their emotion, yeah. with their emotion. And, um, and it's really, really needed because I, again, in you know 30 years of working with men and men in power, um, one of the most important factors that I've seen in the room is their ability to feel safe and truly experience their emotion and express it. And um, it has totally changed, not only their relationship with their spouses, their intimacy, okay. uh, their relationship with their buddies, with their children, and, and at work. But the part that I like more about your book is that men don't have to only kind of be allies with each other in covering up and mischievous stuff. They can now be allies in upholding someone as a human being who does the right thing because it's the right thing to do. That's right. That's why in the beginning of the book, I posed two very important questions to the men reading the book. One is, why should I care about gender equality, equity, et cetera? And why should I change now? Mm -hmm. And, and it, it's, a, it's a fair, albeit very direct question for men to ponder because the journey to stepping into being an ally and an inclusionary leader, it's, a, it's not a one and done thing. And, and it, it's gonna require everything, their, their awareness of their bias, their privilege, their emotions, the man box, it's gonna require empathy, it's gonna require accountability and it's gonna require action. And so um, these principles, if you will, are critical for men to, st to step into. And it's time, plain and simple, it's time. You're, you're a therapist, and even though I'm not a therapist, my 15,000 hours, 55 men's weekends, bringing this work into maximum security prisons, that's everything that informed me to translate all this into the corporate space. And at, if there was one, probably the deepest context word that I would offer that needs to happen for men is healing. Healing. We weren't taught how to connect and feel our emotions at all. And so we're one trick anger ponies, if you will. I mean, I, just Saturday, I was invited down to do a bike ride down in Woodside by this guy uh, whose name shall not be mentioned. And after the bike ride, while I was away from uh, everyone changing, uh, his dog got out of the car and ran around the parking lot, hit a car and he exploded, exploded in anger, turned it towards his, the mother of his child and his sister, blamed them. And then when I, none of this happened when I was there. And when any one of my buddies got in to try and deescalate, he felt threatened and he almost went at them. 
this is a classic example of men not knowing how to feel fear and going to the only permissible. And that's, that's why we have all these shootings and all this stuff that's going on throughout our country because of <clears throat> emotional illiteracy. And so men often wonder, like when I do trainings, why are we talking about our emotions? And I'm like, well, let me give you an example. If someone comes up to you and says, hey, Ray, you know, when you said that in that meeting or whatever, it really hurt me. The first thing that's going to happen before he, I even know that someone says that to me is I'm either going to feel shame or I'm going to feel afraid or sad or maybe all of them. But I won't know how to respond. And before I know it, I'm going to explain away saying I didn't mean it or I'm going to defend and I'm going to justify as opposed to taking a breath and saying, I had no idea. I'm sorry. Tell me more. This may, for someone like yourself in your profession, this is, this is stuff that you, I assume you help people begin to understand and then emulate. This is what needs to happen for men as, as leaders and allies, as fathers, husbands, brothers, community members. And so that's, that's, that's kind of why I exist on the planet, <laughs> is to support men and in, in, in moving from the old into the new narrative of healthy masculinity. Oh, I love your purpose. Awesome. Thank so um, what you share in your book is declare for yourself an intention to learn more about what drives your language and behavior. Seek a, yeah. I love this. Seek a female mentor and a partner and get curious about her experiences and how she's impacted by men's behavior. I used to, um, I used to work with um, a transgender uh, person who was um, a male uh, for 40 years and then uh, went through the transfer of becoming a female and uh, she stayed in the same company and very a man-driven company and I was I was actually very impressed by the HR and how they got um, all the people in her team ready for this and even you know the questions of which bathroom to use and how to be with that group mm -hmm. one of the things she told me was that people who knew her when she was, you know, uh, presenting as a male, talked to her in such a different way. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, the jokes they would say or uh, the way that they would treat her when uh, she was presenting as a male was so different than when she became a female. And you really got this, these roles that we all kind of play. And uh, at everybody kind of, uh, you know, it's a cultural perspective that we have. So when you say get, you know, get a, for a man to get a mentor who's a, who's a female or vice versa, any female, uh, you know, get a mentor as a male to really know what the other genders are, um, or even, you know, at, at this point, a non-binary to really know what the experience is. Other people have different experiences. And then you share about seek and secure a male support accountability buddy. Uh, so you could also share those concepts. So what's the question? Nothing. <laughs> I'm just sharing with you what showed up for me. Um, okay. Throwing the ball right back at you uh, to share what's, what comes up for you. Uh, well, I've never heard of an example like that that a company was committed and a team was committed. And I think that is amazing. And what, what, what comes to mind, um, one of the guys uh, who is 
been on the um the on our stage uh for the better man is a guy by the name of sean coleman he's a trans man and he um has talked about a lot of this stuff so the concepts are very similar there's also a woman named dr paula jones who wrote a book who was a male ceo of a large church group and she talks about her experiences before and after including but not limited to when she's on a plane so it's just it's been very educational for me uh and my assumption is anybody who listens to her or uh you're you're the person you spoke to that it's a great opportunity for us to re-examine and become more aware around the individual that we're we're speaking to there's a lot in your book about um respecting the responsibility that you have, respecting the accountability, but respecting yourself, your emotions, yeah. your needs and, um, and others. Um, you also shared about uh, the heart uh, being the character, like growth, creating growth mindset, listening and learning something you don't know, empathy, compassion, generosity. Um, so really the Betterman pledge is I will forever, I like this, I will forever be an ally in training, recognizing that my bias and privilege may occasionally cause harm to another, um, so that it holds you consistently into the space of accountability. So um, in the beginning of the book, I, I posed these questions for the reader. Do you want to be that guy, like the one that subscribes to toxic masculinity? Uh, and so when I looked at all of those rhetorical questions in the beginning, I had this idea to flip all of them and to make them into a pledge so that when someone would subscribe and make those statements live and to live inside them, I've even done this in a training. I've had men say those out loud. It makes it real. So that's a little bit, a little bit of history behind those and the correlation between those positive affirmative live into pledges and where it came from so once again you've done your homework <laughs> and i love what you're pulling out well again another experience comes to my mind which is when we talk about uh, abortion yeah um there's a lot about the woman's choice i wrote an article which is no it's also men's choice um and one how do they um how are they part of creation but also a lot of men right now also go through <clears throat> not only choosing with the women to abort or keep but also being responsible for it but even if they both choose to abort people look at women's depression and and what they go through afterward i work consistently with women that even though they had the choice and yeah. they made the choice they went their physical body and their um you know, emotions went through depression. The same thing goes with men who go through these choices. And we were in a, in a resort where we were working on, on um, trust circles. And one of the question was whomever had to go through a decision-making about abortion, come forward. I was shocked that the amount of men who came in, in the middle of the circle were more than females. Wow. And 
they, they were crying and they shared about what it meant also for them yes. to make that choice. Um, and, and people don't really realize, and men don't even you know, give themselves the right to realize that. Right. So I think the part of what your work is, which is bringing men to their heart and connection with their feeling, and for that to be mainstream, that it doesn't need to be in therapy sessions with me no. or the therapist. Yes. This needs to be at, at work. It needs to be in, you know, the, where they feel most powerful to also feel most vulnerable side by side and bring that into their company and their life and their relationship. I think it's, it's very valuable. You know, there's this notion of at being a guy at work and being a guy at home. I'm seeking to be a guy in life. And that's exactly what you're, what you're speaking to. I put in chat for you and for your readers a recent blog I wrote called A Woman's Choice. Um, and it, it talks about, you know, me being raised Catholic, um, me understanding that it's not my body, it's not my choice, and understanding the distinction that even let's keep the politics out of it, but let's really seek to understand, you know, you know, and so what I do is I flipped it on the guys like, what if, um, what if, for example, um, you, there it is. Um, what if there's the little advertisement you had to, uh, before you got married or before you had kids, you had to have a vasectomy. And until you were like this responsible adult, uh, you would have, then you could get it undone. All of a sudden, this notion of these kinds of body choices for men to contemplate makes it real. Yeah. So I think I said it, it was required that you have a vasectomy until you were deemed financially and emotionally ready. <laughs> All of a sudden, it puts us guys in the shoes of, of a woman. Now, mind you, I know that a lot of guys, you know, family guys, guys who uh, their religious values, so you have input. But what if before you even, had relations with a woman you were thinking about all this ahead of time and you took responsibility for it it's not just hers it's yours too so a lot of the stuff needs to be re-examined absolutely now your ally's journey acknowledge your stuff yep and really really <laughs> take responsibility really yeah. think talk and act like an ally so do you want to yeah so most companies, most men are in the first step, which is acknowledge your stuff. That's dude language for like, understand your bias, even your fatherly influences. You know, what did the patriarchal figures model for you? How did you see your father and mother relate? All that stuff's cooking in the pot. Understanding what privilege is and what it isn't, not demonizing it, humanizing it, understanding and connecting to your emotions, and then this thing called the man box, understanding that it's pervasive. That in and of itself is a huge workshop right there, be that as it may. So that's just step one. Moving to step two is listening with empathy and compassion has two aspects to it, listening to yourself and listening to others. And what I often tell men is it's, this is about presencing the lived experiences of other people, not you, them. Because whenever I've done that with, with men, they begin to understand oh, and they say things like, oh my God, I had no idea that this was a woman's experience. 
what do I do? When they ask that question, that is indicative of their empathy roots growing. And then step three, as we start to move into action, that's about be a stand-up guy. If you said or did something that landed negatively, take responsibility for the impact intended or not and, and clean it up. This opens up the door to explore intention versus impact. And then ultimately, where the rubber meets the road, uh, take action, change your behavior. So the think, talk, and 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 uh, think, talk, and act like a, an ally was a play on the better man cards that we have. That I thought, you know, let's bring that into this the fourth step, so that we can get guys in their right mind, their right heart, uh, and and they can shift their language and their behaviors. So that's why I kind of put that towards the end. Beautiful. Um, everyone, um, I want to show you the book again, showing up how men can become effective allies in the workplace. Um, share with us anything that we haven't touched upon. Um, and we're, as we're closing in one minute. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess what I would say as a white cisgendered male, that, uh, we're in this time, this time and space where the Time's Up, Me Too, COVID and Black Lives Matter all have formed a perfect storm that's put the attention on the majority men. And so the majority of us are good guys. We care. That's why I talk about that care piece in the beginning of the book. But the question for all of us to, to ponder for ourselves is, do we want to be part of that minority, the few bad apples that's been writing the narrative that we see in the news? And by, by the way, if we don't do anything from the place of the majority, we're just like them. Or do you want to step out of your comfort zone, put yourself on the path of being an ally and, and start to do the work? My hope, my hope is that the answer is, is yes. And there's a lot of ways you can do that. One is go to showingupbook.com and you can order the book. And there's a way to register for a free virtual Better Man ticket for the Better Man Conference, uh, November 2nd. Uh, if you are a leader in a company and what I'm saying is resonating with you, uh, reach out to me at rayatbettermanconference.com and talk to me about sending a delegation or being a sponsor for, for our event. So, and go to bettermanconference.com and sign up for our newsletter. We're doing a lot of, doing a lot of stuff. I'm going to be doing a LinkedIn live with Jennifer Brown, a three-part series. It's free. You can come and learn. That's what this work requires. Yeah, so that's it. Beautiful. Everyone, go get the book, Showing Up, How Men Can Become Effective Allies in the Workplace and sign up for Better Men Conference. Um, I just love this concept of being an ally. An ally means to all men and women. And I think that it's um, the, the essence of, you know, we're so divided right now that this essence of coming together and cooperating and listening to each other and being you know, each other's allies and our own, in a sense, the internal part of us, it's so, so important. So thank you so much for being in my show. It was my pleasure, thank you. And for all of you who are out there, create an amazing world for yourself and everyone around you. And until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>